0: Moncrief on News Talk, brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Anyway, Jonathan Jabarke Butler joins us uh, once again to look at stories from other parts of the planet. Jonathan, good
1: afternoon. How are you, John? Uh,
0: right, uh, Australia. We're going to go to uh, first, and this is a story about a disgraced gynecologist.
1: Yes, uh, a man by the name of Emil uh, Guyard, um who. There was an investigation launched by um, The Guardian in Australia a number of years ago, I think it was back in about 2017, 2018, and they got wind of this particular man, Emil Gayad, who had been practising as a gynecological surgeon, I suppose you'd call it, uh, for 20 years without being detected of... Malpractice, essentially. Uh, mm. This was a guy, um, rumours had been heard about him from around about 1997 that he was providing substandard care during pregnancies and um, the various different states, um, he worked in Sydney and he worked in various hospitals around the country, did not manage to stop him from practising even though there was many complaints made about him over time, Right. So the upshot of it is that at the end of the investigation and t- and when they published their piece back in 2018, um, they did manage to stop him. There was an investigation launched by um, a, a woman a barrister called Gail Furness, uh, and and she issued a report uh, in which she found that hundreds of women had been affected by this particular man. Oh okay, God. absolutely hundreds. Right, so it, it very similar so
0: this is like a lot of this unnecessary procedures. Yeah, and, yeah, it's.
1: it's Dundalk Mark II, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. right? So, so those of a certain age, it's not that long ago that something like this, very similar to this, happened. Uh, in Ireland, um, but uh, we, we might park that. I yeah. think uh, probably, but it, it was that. Yeah, it was you know surgeries that were performed on them that were late found to be unnecessary. So, you know, hysterectomies, fallopian tube, remov- tube removal, women waking up uh, in 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 agony, not knowing what had happened to them, uh, and, and and finding that you know in terms of having children and the like, it was it was over for them essentially. So there was obviously, as I said, hundreds involved, and there was the way it's worked out now is is quite interesting because there was a certain, there's several solicitors firms involved, right? But there's one in particular who appears to be acting on uh, uh, over a hundred of these cases, right? And they basically went to New South Wales, they went to the government of New South Wales and they said, look, we're going to bring a class action mm-hmm. against you, right? And they sat down then with New South Wales and they said, OK, well, look, we, wa- we want to avoid total chaos here. So why don't we come up with a redress scheme? And that's exactly what they've done, right? right. So the, the, the solicitors have basically said that these people have suffered appalling and avoidable injuries as a result of guy unchecked, negligent treatment and the New South Wales government failure to regulate guy So they're culpable. And they've said absolutely fair enough. And they, they they are culpable because they did have opportunities mm. to ch- do background checks on them and, and follow up complaints. And they didn't. Right. So they let them carry on. And the reason they're going for this redress scheme is because they're saying that it would be an efficient, accessible and private compensation process. And I think that's the key thing there, that it would give closure to these women who suffered already without putting all of their passed out into the public and bringing up things that they don't necessarily want to deal with again.
0: Uh, What's happened to Guyhead?
1: Well, this is the thing, right? So that report that was done by Gail Furness, um, she passed that on to the police who launched an investigation but nobody knows where he is. Um, Presumably, he will be arrested but the investigation is still going ahead, obviously, and the fallout from it you know will there be other people involved? who knows, but ultimately it 's hard to know whether this guy emil Gat uh, will be caught and if he 'll do time for for his um, his actions
0: right my word right lebanon we 're going to go to next uh, they have a new government uh, always a fraught business there, given uh, so many parties have to have some some sort of say in government yeah
1: it's it 's pretty chaotic I mean they have to cater to eighteen different religions amongst a population of just under seven million there right and the the way they sort it out is a uh, Just bringing up your point, to be honest with you, is is they have a confessionalism system, right, where basically the president has to be a Christian, prime minister has to be a Sunni, the speaker has to be a Shia, etc, etc, etc. So they all have different roles, a few countries like that. Um, I think, uh, is it Mauritius that's like that as well, actually? Well, but it's
0: a more complicated version of Stormont.
1: Uh, yeah, true, actually. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. I didn't have to go that far <laughs> It is basically a more complicated version of that. And the, I suppose the thing about Lebanon it is that it is in one of the unluckiest countries in the world. Now, you can say unlucky, but you can, I think maybe a lot of Lebanese listening to that might go, it's nothing to do with luck. It's to do with corruption and a really badly run state basically right and that explosion that happened on the 4th Mm. of August 2020 which killed over 200 people and injured 6,000 but in a a weird sort of way and this is going to sound very cold but in a weird sort of way it really drew attention to Lebanon and might have sped up the resolutions that they have been so desperately needing for years you might Mm. remember Michael D. Higgins went there about two or three years ago and he couldn't go into the city centre because there were protests because of youth unemployment and corruption and all that kind of thing so look it's it's a tiny little bit of beacon of hope in this darkness that they actually have a government now after over a year of trying to get one together. And the key benefit of actually forming the government is the fact that then IMF can now come in and say, right, now that you actually have people in place who can do this stuff, Let's give you some money so you can turn the lights on in the hospitals. Yes, you because, know, and that's uh, that's how yeah. bad it is, you know. Um, um, so it's a it's actually a very positive story in a way.
0: Yeah. Now, in fairness to now, I mean, they, they've created many of their own problems, but it has it has been a very unlucky. A uh, country that always struck me because of its location, yes, yeah, yeah. because it got so many uh, um, uh, Palestinian refugees yeah. went in there and then the Israelis invaded and, and, and Iran was yeah. messing with them and blah, everybody, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So everybody uh, has had a go at them yeah. uh, uh, not giving them much of a chance to fix things uh, for themselves. Right. Somalia, we're going to go to next. And uh, tensions on the rise there.
1: Oh. Always. Yes. It always yeah, seems how to can be. Yeah, higher. it's it's yeah. it's it's uh It's quite a, a, an interesting place, to be honest with you. But this is a standoff now between the Prime Minister, Mohammed Roble, and President Formaggio. Now, Formaggio is his nickname, but I'm going to stick with that because otherwise we're dealing with two Mohammeds, okay? Right. And we don't need that, I don't think. So it's a standoff between the Prime Minister and the President. Effectively, the President um, back in... April of this year decided that he wanted to stay on a little bit longer. All right, classic story. People weren't happy about that and there were protests on the streets of Mogadishu that got very violent. And any time there's violence in Somalia, people get extremely worried because there are a lot of people there with guns, all right? And it is it is constantly a, pl- a place of constant tension really, right? Mm. President Formaggio decided to bring in this technocrat, OK, Prime Minister Mohamed Robley and he said to him, look, will you sort this out for me because you're kind of a quiet guy, nobody really knows you and what you're going to do is you're going to put a plan in place so that we have democratic parliamentary elections and then they'll appoint me as president again and I'll still be in power and we'll all be kushti. Robley said, yeah, that's grand. But what President Formaggio didn't bank on was the fact that Robley... His, um, uh, his persona, I suppose, or his fame, whatever you want to call it, w- was beginning to come on the rise a little bit. OK, mm-hmm. so people began to kind of listen to him and Robley then began to get a little bit confident and take on the president in various different things. So there was a few things that he did. The president a couple of months ago told his government or representatives, you're not to speak to anybody from outside of Somalia, you know, um, foreign dignitaries or the like until the next election takes place. Robley went into Kenya and struck a uh, kind of a few deals with them, uh, Mm. you know, paths towards peace treaties and that kind of thing. OK, an institution that's very close to President Formaggio, that's the National Intelligence Security Agency. There's controversy around that uh, involving the death of a 25 year old cadet. OK, the prime minister opened an investigation on that and ended up firing one of President Formaggio's close friends. So there's all of these things where they're chipping away at each other, Mm. they're canvassing against each other in the media, saying that they're both responsible for, you know, uh, not abiding by the Constitution, this, that and the other. And in the background, various different politicians and army are beginning to take sides now. So, again, if it was in Ireland, it might seem like nothing and it would be just great political theatre. But because it's Somalia... It's a different kettle of yes, fish altogether.
0: Uh, and what it might lead to, yeah. indeed. Uh, right, Rwanda, where the opposition leader has been arrested for rape.
1: Yes. Um, I put a tweet out earlier uh, at, at, at De Burka, J. DeBurka mm. Butler on Twitter, and, and you can have a look at that because it, it kind of deals with in five minutes how Paul Kagame, who's been the president there for must be nearly 20 years now, how he deals with opposition. OK, mm. it doesn't relate to this story. It, it relates to something that happened about three years ago. But I think this is a, a, another interesting um, example of that. This involves a 48-year-old uh, former school lecturer, a man by the name of Christopher Kayumba. OK, who runs his own newspaper called The Chronicles. And as you can imagine, he's opposed to Paul Kagame. Now, he decided to set up a political party back in March which is something you just don't do in Rwanda, okay mm. unless it's the pro paul kagame party right yeah. and immediately after he sent uh, he set that up allegations of rape surfaced across social media and and, and various different uh, newspapers and that kind of thing he denied them straight away and shortly after that um uh you know there was an investigation launched into him and and now he's been uh, he's been arrested uh, for those accusations so um, it's another opposition person who, uh, again, is is suffering at, at, at the hands of, of Kagame. I think, Yes. yeah, you have yeah. to, yeah, you, you have to. Okay, we know for say, sure, exactly. but given the
0: given the the timing of it, the pattern anything, of it, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Kurdistan we're going to go to next. Uh, five on trial yeah. after um, dozens were killed.
1: Yes, uh, the the events actually took place back in April and May of last year. All right, um, the, this was kind of riots erupted on um, in a disputed area between the border of Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan right and 55 people were killed in this right Um, as a result a good few people have been arrested and the trial of three Kyrgyz citizens and two Tajik nationals have started now their part in this is basically the charges against them that it's for losing private property alright but there have been many many um, riots and arguments and fights over this part of the world, right? Mm. There are no fewer than seven exclaves in what's called the Fergana Valley, right? Cracky. And they're between Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, all right? All of them as a result of, you know, the Soviet Union mm. and saying, oh, this is grand, do this here, do a bit of farming there. And then when it was it had to be carved up at the end, of course, nobody knew who owned what. And all of a sudden you have seven exclaves, all right? So it's fairly chaotic um, uh, in this part of the world or it can be um, but uh, this is just the latest manifestation of that uh, at the moment
0: that's extraordinary Uh, right now this sounds like a movie plot but uh, we're going to go to Spain now a woman who was switched at birth
1: Yes, this happened in La Rioja, which is in the north of the country. If I'm not mistaken, uh, the, the movies and mm-hmm. booze people will know this Indeed. region well, yes. as as do most, as would much of Ireland. I'm sure, excellent wine from this part of the world. Um, this particular story uh, involves uh, two baby girls who were swapped in a maternity ward 20 years ago. Um, we know that one of them discovered that she had the wrong parents because of a DNA test that she took. Now, we don't know why she took the DNA test. Her details haven't been given away. We just know that she was 19. She discovered through this DNA test that she wasn't the daughter of, of who she thought she was. She is now seeking €3 million euros in compensation from the health services in, in La Rioja. Um, so they were both born, obviously, at the same time. They were They were born five hours apart, actually, both put mm-hmm. into incubators, and subsequently given back to the wrong parents. The other person has been told, uh, but neither of the women involved have have come forward uh, as of yet.
0: Uh, but we do so we don't know if the circumstances of their lives were dramatically I mean apart from obviously the, the distress of that happening but like one went to a millionaire's family yeah. and one was
1: no we don't no. we don't know the details of it because yeah. as I said the, their details have been kept private but I'm sure you know maybe if the 3 million compensation doesn't come through there might be a, a nice paycheck from El Paez or something <laughs> like that be, yes. uh, or whatever the equivalent of the sun is in Spain
0: uh, right okay we're going to go to El Salvador next a story that uh, Jonathan was very keen to talk about because he's such an interesting <laughs> Uh, in uh, where they're, they're doing something with Bitcoin.
1: Hanging me out to dry there. Yeah. God, Jimmy, very unfair. Yes, uh, basically El Salvador, as uh, some people will know, have taken on Bitcoin as legal tender, right? So they used to depend wholly on the American dollar. And I think um, Naib Bukele, that's President Naib Bukele, who again, young man, very interesting character, not in a good way necessarily, <laughs> um, but he's trying to bring El Salvador into the first world, right? That's kind of what he said in his own statement. And yeah. he thinks that the dependency on the dollar um, is is too much, right? And and he also says that he's going to save his country about $400 million in terms of fees on transactions and the like that come from outso- outside El Salvador, presumably from America itself, where lots of people work and send money home. And, and that's the main reason, at least um, uh, overtly, uh, for this switch or this uh, forcing companies yeah. to accept Bitcoin, and that's what he's doing. It's not a choice. Mm. He's forcing. forcing, c- forcing well, them yeah, to yeah. He's forcing every shop and every delivery driver to accept Bitcoin. Um, uh,
0: well, I mean. I- a little I know uh mm. bitcoin's a digital currency you, you don't you can't carry it around in your pocket yeah. unless it's on your phone or something yeah so they so have a so wallet
1: system called all right the so Kivo.
0: it's not like printing money
1: right no yeah. no but okay. there there is as far as i know there is hole in the walls or atm's sorry mm. let's use the technical yeah. term we're not, we're, not out. <laughs> we're not out on the saturday night there 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 are atm's there where something can happen and you can get dollars returned and that kind of thing now right. I, I i i don't know how but it it works yeah. somehow the only problem about it was on the first day bitcoin collapsed mm-hmm. by $9000 right it fell from $52000 per coin to 43 in one day. Not everybody took it up uh, originally so they were very worried at the beginning and I believe the server that was hosting it actually crashed uh, because there was so many people trying to uh, get involved in it. Um, So the start of it hasn't been so good uh, but you know these things take time and uh, we'll see how he gets Uh, on.
0: There was a survey though Is, is this a popular...
1: Not particularly. Uh, judging by one, I only saw one survey now on this from, mm-hmm. from, uh, from an English speaking paper, shall we say. Uh, and uh, 68% of just over 1,200 people said that they weren't in favour uh, of Bitcoin being used as legal tender. I couldn't find out why. But yeah. uh, they did not get idea. Most people
0: would be confused by
1: it. Yeah, uh, really, quite possibly. You
0: know. yeah. Uh, right. So, what should we look out for over the next week or so?
1: Yeah, a few things coming up. Um, there's elections in Russia on Sunday, which, if if you have a bit of time, you should have a look at because it's very humorous really uh, how much uh, sh- the, the shenanigans that are going on there all sorts of fraud and it's just in broad daylight now um, Erdogan is then visiting the United States on Sunday as well which will be interesting and then the UN General Assembly is happening on Tuesday I don't know if that's interesting but it's, it's happening uh, well, anyway they, they
0: have a lot to be doing <laughs> They sure uh, do uh, actually uh, yeah. Whether they can do anything about it or not is another question Jonathan thanks a million I for shall. coming into us Jonathan de butler there you are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk